Alright folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I'm excited to discuss the Denver Nuggets. As well, I, I, was at, I was at a party last night. I was at the Mile High Sports Holiday Party. Didn't get to watch the game live. Watched a bunch of clips over the course of these last, probably like, 16 hours or so. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday. And I wanted to record a pod right now. I know this is a weird time for it, but wanted to record the pod, talk about the game a little bit. But more importantly, I think just talk about Nikola Jokic, as today is December 15th, and then kind of talk about the defense, as it is still December 15th, and (laughs) clearly the defense is not where it needs to be. But December 15th has a larger meaning within the NBA calendar. It's when a vast number of players are eligible to become traded, the unofficial kickoff of trade season in the NBA. I don't think the Nuggets are going to make a trade anytime soon here, but I do think that they should start thinking about it, that it's at this stage where you just have to understand, look, the team is going for a title and we're going to talk about what things they need and what they could potentially do on the trade market in this third segment. So stick around for that. But for now, let's focus in on this game that just happened last night. The Nuggets beat the Washington Wizards 141 to 128. Oh boy. A combined score of 269. I don't know if I've, I don't know how many times I've actually seen that before in regulation in terms of just a, a singular over under is one of those things that you very rarely see. But it sort of happens when both teams just decide up front they are not going to play any defense. And that's something we'll save for the second segment. But this one, we got to talk about Nikola Jokic. We got to talk about one of the most historic, dominant performances on the interior that we've really ever seen before. This just isn't something that happens where Nikola Jokic goes 43 points on 17 of 20 from the field. Including two two three-point attempts, by the way. One of those being a half-court heave at the end of the second quarter. Jokic, 43 points on 17 of 18 on twos. Went to the free throw line 10 times, made nine of those. 43 points, 14 rebounds, eight assists, five steals, one block. Was a plus 28 in his 33 minutes. What Jokic continues to do... And I know that this was just against the Wizards. They didn't have Kristaps Porzingis. They didn't have Bradley Beal. It was against Taj Gibson starting. And then Daniel Gafford came in for him and played some minutes at, uh, played some minutes against Jokic especially. But for Denver, this is kind of a common occurrence where it comes to be around this time and you know that you need a big performance from the big fella in the middle, and he's always willing to deliver. He's always, especially at this stage of the season, fully amped up and ready to go and wanting to kill. It was nice to see Monte Morris and Will Barton yesterday, and I'm sure that gave him a little bit of extra juice as well. But the most important thing for Jokic and the Nuggets here is that this has not become out of place. This is a, this is a commonplace occurrence when Jokic goes into this beast mode. And his efficiency this year, especially on two-pointers, has just been ludicrous. He's up to 70% true shooting, which is the highest of all of these high-usage superstars right now in an era 
where usage and efficiency are at an all-time high anyway. What Jokic continues to do, 17 of 18 on twos, is just nuts. That's not something that ever really happens. And he had the size advantage, to be clear, against a guy like Taj Gibson. Remember Taj Gibson, where he was struggling at times with the physicality of a guy like Taj? Yeah, that is not a thing anymore. Uh, Just four years ago, when Taj Gibson was on the Minnesota Timberwolves battling for them with Game 82, it wasn't Carl Anthony Towns that was stopping Nikola Jokic. It was Taj Gibson when they when that ultimately needed to happen. But it's crazy that Jokic has continued to evolve in this way, and he continues to put up these historic stat lines where you just kind of nod and say, "Yeah, that's that's a thing that happened." There's no real, there is no real equivalent for what he does. The passing he had this amazing pass in the open court, threading it between a couple of defenders for KCP for a layup. He has these leading passes over the top in transition. He has the backdoor cuts. He's got the wraparound passes, the no-look passes. He's got everything in his bag on that front, and it honestly may not be his best skill. I wrote an article today on milehighsports.com that you should go read. It's basically detailing the history of what happened before and after December 15th, 2016, six years ago, when Nikola Jokic was firmly inserted into the starting lineup. And the only other games that he has not started since then were a couple of games in the following season when he came off of an ankle injury and was coming off the bench very briefly. Every other time he started, and he's just been unbelievable ever since. The Nuggets, you know. It's just been a blessing for them, where they haven't had to think about a whole heck of a lot ever since making that decision. But leading up to that day, it was pretty bad. Denver was 9-16. and 16. Uh, They were 9-15 and 15 heading into Dallas and got blown out, just absolutely thrashed by the Dallas Mavericks. It was close to a 25-point loss. But I remember Jokic was like a plus three or a plus four in his... 25, 26, 28 minutes off the bench or so. And when you do that in a 25-point loss and you put up the numbers that he did, you just a very uh, strong performance from a points, rebounds, assist standpoint, you take notice. And Michael Malone took notice at that point. I remember this exactly. That was on December 12th. Denver came back home. They had two days off. And then they decided to go with Nikola Jokic as the starter on December 15th against the Portland Trailblazers. And it was that game where he has the one-handed slinger to Kenneth Fareed in transition, where he basically plays the way that he plays now, but it was so new then and so different and cutting edge to the point where nobody really knew what to do with it. They still don't know what to do with it. That's pretty clear. But it's interesting to see how this has continued to evolve. I just looked this up on Basketball Reference. Ever since that 2016-17 season, Jokic's second season in the league, he ranks ninth in total points scored, third in total rebounds, fifth in total assists, twelfth in total steals. He has the sixth highest true shooting percentage among 10,000 minutes played guys, like guys that have played a bunch. 
He's second in player efficiency rating to Giannis, and he's first in win shares and box plus minus during that stage. He's a statistical god. There's just no other way to put it. And I don't know if anybody really knew what they were getting into back in 2016, whether that decision between Jokic and Nurkic was going to be as pivotal for this Nuggets franchise as it was. I think everybody sort of thought that, okay, you've got pretty two, two pretty good prospects at the center spot. One of them, you're going to go with a more offensive-minded guy. The other, you're going to go with a more defensive-minded guy. And the hope being is that whichever one you choose, you start winning some games. Well, Denver started winning some games, but then Jokic just started growing into this enigma that he is culminating in the last two years with two MVP trophies. It hasn't fully worked to the point where Denver's been in the finals and they've won championships and things like that. This isn't like a Golden State Steph Curry revival or a Milwaukee Giannis revival. But there's still time for that. There still is absolutely time for that. And I think if Denver does ultimately win a championship, if, not when, if, If that were to happen, then this would be viewed as one of the most improbable championships ever. Because you're talking about a second round pick, you're talking about somebody stepping up into the spotlight and becoming the all everything for this Nuggets team that has never really had anybody like that before. It's such a big deal. And the way that he has embraced it and been willing to do exactly what it takes to get it done. And the ethos with which he's carried himself and sort of directed the team, that has shaped everything about the Nuggets organization and who they are. You knew that they wanted, like, every team says that they want to be unselfish, that they want to play for each other, that they're trying to uh, play with teamwork and cooperation and things like that, and it's not about each other. But that's harder in practice. When you are dealing with a bunch of millionaires who want to be the best at what they do. With Jokic, the drama just isn't there. And it hasn't been there for a long time. The most drama we've had around Jokic is, I mean, there have been some some off-court things like the various comments. But on the court, the most drama that's ever really been a thing is sometimes he doesn't shoot enough. And sometimes he doesn't like press up to the level enough on defense and things like that. It's just these are these are non things. These are things that don't matter in the grand scheme of an organization and how you want to run your life. What Jokic has been able to do in changing the culture of this Nuggets organization, it has made things easier for everybody around him. He has been the boat the tide that lifts all boats. And having that as a team, along with all the statistical production and the versatility and the way that you can build a team around him, has just been so important. If Denver didn't have that, they'd be sunk. They would undoubtedly be sunk. And I hesitate to think what would happen if they had just gone with Nurkic in 2016, decided to trade Jokic to somebody Maybe they trade him for Kevin Love. 
to the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers after that looks like it's breaking up. That wouldn't surprise me if Denver had maybe not Emmanuel Moutier, but they go get another better starting point guard. But you have some starting point guard, Gary Harris, Gallo, Kevin Love, Yusuf Nurkic as your core. And that team probably wins 40 to 45 games for a while and then gets broken up. That feels pretty standard. And instead, Denver has been allowed to dream. They've been allowed to dream because they have this guy who's just been a Pandora's box full of talent and capability and uh, just a complete ball of clay where you, you can mold it into whatever the hell you want to. And having that has been super, super cool. Just, just incredible. So sometimes you just got to step back. This is a great time to do so. Six years to the day when Nikola Jokic was inserted into that starting lineup for the final time. And I'm glad that we get to celebrate it like this, that it has become its own thing. And it's really cool that on December 14th, the day before, Nikola Jokic puts up his best performance of the season to date. Very good. Very cool stuff. Denver wins. They they cover, despite the fact that they gave up 128 points. But when we come back, we're going to talk about those 128 points and why that why that matters a little bit still. We'll be right back. Pickaxe and Roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast, that would be fantastic. Also, want to thank my good friends over at Superbook Sports, who bring Vegas style wagering to the palm of your hands. And now they'll match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if that bet wins or loses. Whether you're enjoying football, basketball, hockey, whatever. Just visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all of that action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. I we're back. Let's discuss this defense now. Let's talk about those 128 points. Uh, as I mentioned previously, Bradley Beal, out. Chris Porzingis, out. Your two leading scorers for the Wizards weren't playing. Kyle Kuzma played. Monte Morris played. Old friend. Will Barton. Old friend. All those guys played. And those were your three leading scorers for the Wizards. Kuzma, 24 points on 9 of 16. 4 of 8 from 3. Missed four free throws in this game, so a bit of a problem for him there. Monte Morris, classic performance from Monte Morris. 28 minutes, 20 points, 7 of 11 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3. 7 assists, Zero turnovers. Classic Monte. And then Will Barton, in Will Barton form, 22 points on 7 of 15, 4 of 8 from 3, did miss a few free throws, was only 4 of 7 there, but 9 assists, showing that yes, he can in fact pass the ball. And 5 turnovers. Uh, Definitely more turnovers than he would like, but still a really strong game from all three of those guys. 
And I think it underscores like that there were three other guys that were in double figures. Corey Kispert, Daniel Gafford, Jonathan Goodwin. All three of those guys played really well. The Wizards, 52% from the field, 49% from three, only 13 turnovers. This was a strong offensive performance from the Wizards, an, an undermanned Wizards team that is still talented. There's no doubt about that. But for the Nuggets, this was definitely an opportunity for them to improve and play better on the defensive end. They didn't take that opportunity. It was very clear from the get-go that they just didn't feel the need to. And when you score 141 points in regulation, I understand. It's definitely not so unsurprising that this team may have struggled on the defensive end because they didn't feel like they need to defend. That's kind of the story of the season, right? 27 games into it, Denver 17 and 10. They are on the verge. Like, I think they're a game and a half away from the top of the West right now. Like, it just looks like they're very much within striking distance of those top teams, despite the fact that they've got the 28th ranked defense in the NBA. It's horrible. It is a horrible defense. But their offense is that much better. And it's clear from the clutch data that we've talked about for sure that Denver can lock in when necessary. But against a team like the Wizards, was it ever really necessary that they lock in? Probably not. Probably not. I've talked about them building championship habits before. I thought that that was definitely a thing that they were missing last year when, hey, you're relying on Jokic for just about everything. You're not necessarily staying connected on defense. That team puts this team to shame in terms of championship habits. This team has none, and they will continue to have none until they decide we are going to lock in defensively. 28th on defense is not tenable. Like, there are going to be a lot of teams in the Western Conference, and they're lucky in the NBA Finals, that just take advantage, clear advantage of every single defensive weakness that Denver has, and they've showed a lot of them. Jokic is its own thing. Like, he has his own strengths and weaknesses, but he was a plus 28 in a 13-point victory. The Nuggets lost the 15, the, uh, 15 minutes that he was on the court, off the court, by 15 points. So they lost those minutes by a point a minute. And it continues to be an issue where you know exactly what's going to happen. You know the issues that Denver's facing, where when you go from Jokic to DeAndre Jordan, it can be pretty difficult to score, but Denver scored 141 points. Bones Highland had a great offensive game. 23 points, 8 of 11 from the field, 6 assists, 3 turnovers, but 2 to 1 assist to turnover ratio, you take that every single time. And then you had other guys perform well too. Jeff Green, 10 points on six shots. Christian Brown got in on the action, eight points. I just, I don't see the issue with the offense for that bench unit, especially when Jamal Murray is staggering and he kind of helps out with that group a little bit. But the most important thing for this group is that they cannot defend when Jokic is off the floor. And that has been the key. That's been the consistent thing for the entire time that Jokic has been around. 
they have not been able to defend better the Nuggets as a whole when Jokic is off the floor. Some of that is because you've concentrated your top defenders, KCP, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon. Those guys are all in the starting lineup. They're not staggering as much. They're mostly just playing with the starting group. And Denver doesn't have a ton of defenders on that second unit. I think Christian Brown counts, but he's just a rookie. And he still makes mistakes from time to time. Not necessarily like, hey, you missed your assignment here, but more of just, hey, you weren't quick enough on this particular play. So you're facing that a lot with that second unit, and you will continue to face that with your second unit until something changes. Because I don't really see the core group. And when when Michael Porter comes back, maybe you're putting Bruce Brown with that group a little bit more. Maybe you get a little bit more on-ball defense that way. But the core four players that have been coming off the bench lately, Bones Highland, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, I don't see a lot of defensive production coming from there. That's bad. That's a bad thing. Because the offense that they're going to put out there, just when you're playing against good teams, it just isn't going to match up. So the defense is going to have to. You know, we haven't seen that so far. So I'm very curious to see what it looks like with that group. I'm very curious to see if they can evolve. The overarching thing for this season so far has been not really caring about defense. The offense is so good and so potent, and you've got Nikola Jokic, that it makes it easy to not really think about the defensive end. Teams have not challenged Denver in a lot of ways. The Nuggets have faced a lot of bad teams, a lot of them. And sometimes those teams will come in and and smoke Denver here or there. Like Atlanta, they had no business beating Denver without Trey Young, Clint Capella, or no, they had Clint Capella. Without DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and yet DeJounte Murray and Clint Capella were plenty in order to put Denver in their place when they didn't take them seriously. New Orleans, a really good team, put Denver in its place. Boston, a really good team, put Denver in its place. Denver didn't take the Lakers seriously the first time around. That's one that stands out. And there are others like Portland, Utah. Denver got surprised in those games. I don't think that they really thought that they had to try that hard. But so far, Denver really hasn't been challenged this season. The opener, despite the fact that it's been a hard travel schedule, has been a really easy strength of schedule. And so that's going to change. January is going to be a lot tougher. Even the lead up from like up till Christmas and New Year's is going to be a lot tougher than what the previous several games have been. You play Houston a bunch of times. You're playing Washington now. Play a bunch of teams without their stars. It's really easy to go to sleep. I get that. I do. It's human nature. As I think Jamal Murray and Michael Malone have said. But nobody really knows. Nobody really knows when Denver has to lock in on that defensive end. I don't really know. I pretend to know. I think that, okay, maybe it's Christmas. Maybe it's January 1st. Maybe it's February. I don't know. I thought it would be November when they decided, okay, hey, we're going to get more serious. Then that didn't happen. And I thought, okay, okay, December, you're out of your main heavy road trip. No, it's not a, not no really, no real reason to get serious because of the competition that Denver's facing right now. 
And so Denver, though they have shown capability with the matchups that they've had against Portland and Utah, limiting those teams to a combined 41 points in two fourth quarters, they've shown that they can, which is what I think is the most important thing. The problem is that I don't know if they can do it for 48 minutes. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen what Denver can do and whether they could limit a team to under 100 points. Like, Actually, I, I don't even know how many times Denver has limited a team 100, to 100 points or less. Let's go check. Um, okay, two munders on the season. One of them was when Jokic, Murray, and Gordon were out in the win against Dallas. And the other was a game against the Lakers when I don't think LeBron played, or no, uh, it's either LeBron or the some of the starters. No, LeBron and AD played in that one. Russell Westbrook did not. It was just a very simple game plan for Denver, and they were able to take advantage of some really ugly minutes for the Lakers. But maybe that's the only time where you could really say, yeah, they locked in defensively. I don't really know any other times. Maybe the Dallas game where you don't have your main stars out there, but I'm not sure how much that counts because you're going to need to rely on Jokic, Murray, Aaron Gordon, guys like that because those guys are going to play in crunch time. So I don't think anybody really knows. Everybody has their guesses as to when the Nuggets are going to have to lock in. They haven't done it so far and it hasn't burned them. Like they're a game and a half. They got a first place, which makes it super easy. Actually, no, they're just a game. Is that right? Yeah, they're just a game out of first place. They are right behind the New Orleans Pelicans and Memphis Grizzlies, who are each 18 and 9. Denver, 17 and 10. They're one game back. The point differential is a pretty strong indicator of where Denver's at. It's not as high as the Suns, as the Grizzlies, as the Pelicans, anywhere close, really. And then you go over to the Eastern Conference, and it's the Celtics and the Bucks have a way higher point differential. The Cavs clearly do. Even the Sixers do, despite the fact that they messed around and lost some games for sure. Denver's point differential is pretty odd. It's pretty bad, actually. Where you're kind of fighting against apathy all the time, and you're very willing to play single-digit games to the point where sometimes it burns you, sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time you're just bored. The Nuggets have only played six total games this year that are within three points. Or, yeah, three points. No, that's... um, Yeah, sorry. They have played 15 games where they are outside of 10 points, outside of that 10-point threshold. So they've either lost by more than 10 or they've won by more more than 10. They're 9 and 6 in those games. Denver's other wins, they have five wins that have been in between 3 and 10 points. And they have one loss that's in between 3 and 10 points. So most of the time, Denver is just kind of hanging around. They are they're letting other teams hang around. They're scoring. Hasn't really been challenging at all. But for the most part, the Nuggets are just taking care of business against bad teams and going at or above 500 against those good teams. That's not great. Like, it's it's not super enticing 
because the strength of their of their victories, I think, would say that they are not as championship caliber of a team as many may, maybe many would hope. So we're gonna have to wait and see on that. But the defense, nobody really knows. I, I want to keep stressing that. I think Jokic will turn it up when necessary. If the offense is any indication, he hasn't really had to stress himself that much in order for the offense to be great too. Uh, I think Murray will be able to turn it up defensively a little bit more. He's probably more focused on the offensive end right now, and I would be too if I was coming off of a torn ACL. And then the veterans, they will amp it up when necessary, but that's a hope rather than a guarantee. I don't think anybody really knows when Denver will do it or if Denver can do it. I think we all assume that they can because of the clutch defensive stats. Those are just like 50 some odd minutes. That is a really low sample size and it's a lot to hold on to just to say that, oh yeah, they might be good defensively when it counts. Maybe, maybe good teams will still pick them apart. We've seen that too. So a little bit somber, but either way, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about December 15th but from a trade standpoint, from the, an official trade opening standpoint. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's wrap this one up by talking about why December 15th matters to most NBA fans and not just the Nuggets fans. It's the trade season. Trade season has officially opened. Uh, It was open before, but the vast majority of teams wait around until the larger period of players signed in the offseason becomes eligible to be traded whether they are just standard contracts that are signed on around July 1st, July 2nd, and then they are they become eligible to be moved December 15th. That is a standard thing. Or it's extensions that uh, sort of become off the rails a little bit at that point. But I do think that it's important to go over this. I'm not going to talk about trades that often this year, but this is a prime time to do so. Just because this is where it opens, this is what I'm sure everybody's like, okay, so December 15th, this is is when the trades happen, right? No, but over the course of the next six, seven, eight weeks or so, between now and the early February trade deadline, the Nuggets will be in some rumors. A lot of other teams will be in some rumors, and we will definitely talk about those. But for now, let's focus in on why this matters. Important to know that trades don't usually happen for a team unless they're trying to get better. How good are the Nuggets right now? I currently have them as a borderline top five team. They're not in that elite class quite yet. I think if I were measuring things, I'd say that the Celtics and the and the Bucks are at the top. And then three through seven is probably something like Pelicans, uh, Suns, 
Grizzlies, Nuggets, and then pick a team from the East like uh, the Sixers or somebody like that. I don't think the or you could you could also put the Warriors in there at some point. They they have some potential for sure. But I don't think the Denver's in that elite class. They shouldn't be considered in that elite class until they try on defense. That's just a fact. Now, what do the Nuggets need to get into that elite class? One, defense. Two, improved bench performance. And three, health. I'm going to go through this checklist style. Can the Nuggets get to where they want to go without a trade? Can they do so on defense? I don't know. I think maybe. I I don't know if Denver needs a trade to get better defensively. I think a lot of what it is is just trying, is just being willing to go the extra mile, to go the extra minute, uh, to play hard on every single possession. I do think that that's going to make up so much of what Denver has lacked so far. But at some point, you are what your record says you are, and Denver's offense is awesome. And their defense is horrible. So until they start to prove otherwise, I just have to treat them like they need to get better defensively. So it's a maybe on that one. Now, improved bench performance. Does Denver need, like, do they need a trade in order to get improved bench performance? I think so. I don't think that they can get it without changing up some personnel because. When Denver puts a whole bunch of money into that starting lineup with Murray, Porter, Jokic, Aaron Gordon, KCP, it's hard to build a bench lineup behind that if you don't have uh, effective drafting slash uh, management of your smaller contracts. And Denver, quite frankly, has they're, they're a little bit weak on that front over the course of these last couple of years. You have Bones, you have Christian Brown, you have Bruce Brown when he moves back to the bench, you have Jeff Green, you have DeAndre Jordan, you have Zeke Naji, you have Davon Reed, and Ish Smith. Those are eight guys off the bench. I don't know if you're getting a strong bench unit out of that without heavy staggering, which then kind of takes away from your starting lineup. So we're going to see about that, but I do think most important thing, Denver probably, if they want to improve their team, you're going to have to improve the bench play. And now, can Denver get to where they need to go without a trade on the health front? Yes. I think that's going to take time, but Murray's making progress. Porter will be back at some point. As long as those guys are healthy and ready to go, I don't see any reason why Denver won't be full strength heading into the playoffs. Knock on wood. We will see what that actually looks like, but I don't think that that's going to be as much of an issue in March and April as it is currently in December. So what's the upside of not doing a trade? I think you build continuity this way. You can have some trust in the plan that was put together in the offseason whether it was bringing on DeAndre Jordan, whether it was bringing in Bruce Brown, uh, retaining Davon Reed, guys like that. If you have trust in that plan that you set out for, drafting Christian Brown being among that, then you probably don't need to do a deal. Like That's probably reasonable. Plus, Denver doesn't really have a ton of assets in order to make a trade. 
So you don't have to spend the assets that you don't actually have. Now, what's the downside of not doing a trade? You might miss an opportunity to get tangibly better. And for the Nuggets, in a limited run of seasons that they have with Jokic at the prime of his powers, the peak of his powers, you might miss an opportunity there. And if the plan fails, that's just another season of prime Jokic down the drain where you missed each of the last two years because Murray was out and then Porter was out in the second year. So I don't think that Denver can waste another one. I think they've really got to get to a good place where you feel like, okay, this is a group that you can get behind being a championship contender. Can Denver get behind this group? I don't know. Like maybe, but you got to try defensively in order for me to really believe that. So how did the Nuggets improve on defense? You either try harder or you replace the weak points with strong points. Trying harder, I assume that that'll happen when things get down to it. But as for replacing the weak points, Jokic is kind of a weak point in various cases. You're not replacing him. Jamal Murray can be a weak point in various cases. You're not replacing him. You're just hoping that he gets to a better physical place and then a better mental place where he can lock in on both ends as opposed to just one. Michael Porter, it's not impossible that they don't move him. Like I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I'd bet on it, but I don't think that he is as essential to what they're trying to do now as what I think they were hoping for him to be. I hope that he stays around. I want to see every single person that's been involved, involved in this through like 2018. I want to see those guys being credited and, and being rewarded for that. Jokic, Murray, Porter, even Michael Malone. I'd like to see them all be able to do this together, kind of work through that. But if you have to make tough decisions, MPJ might be one of those guys. So see what that looks like, and we'll see if he's even healthy enough for teams to justify wanting to make a move for him at this point. But if he comes back and he's good, but maybe not necessarily fitting into what Denver's doing, then we're going to find out really quickly if the Nuggets are willing to wait around to see if that potential can turn into production. Bones, another weak point defensively. I doubt that he gets moved or anything like that. I doubt that Denver really changes the formula. But honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. A lot of point guards are taken advantage of due to their size. There's no doubt about it. That's one of those things you see fewer point guards playing in the playoffs, you see fewer centers playing in the playoffs. It's a lot more wings. And Bones is going to be one of those guys that's picked on, no matter what. Now, he's clearly the most important offensive player with that bench group. So it's one of the reasons why I think that's doubtful. And I think they also just believe in him and see him as a little bit of Murray insurance too. But I would be surprised if they move him, but not. it's, it's not impossible. That's what I will say. DeAndre Jordan, I don't know if they'd move him specifically, but I think that they might try to improve upon him. I think that's a very reasonable thing for them to do. And then Jeff Green, another potential weak point here. I, they could move him too. I, it's unknown though. I'm not sure what the general feel is about that. 
But if you're just looking to improve the defense specifically, Denver's got to get high-activity guys. And he's not necessarily one of those. So we'll see. Uh, Now, how do you improve the bench performance in general? You got to increase the talent level. You got to find a duo or an action that works best because the starters have Jokic and Murray. Last year, the bench had Bones and Boogie. This year, the go-to actions so far have been Bones and Jamal isos and post-ups and things like that. I'm not sure if that's viable. I think you've got to get a big man that can truly play pick and roll with Bones. Or if it's not pick and roll, then it's pick and pop. I don't think that's DeAndre, and I don't think that's Zeke. I also don't think that's Jeff Green either, because Jeff is more of a four, not a five. So I think this is somewhere that Denver is going to be looking. I really do. The problem with investing in a backup center is that you're going to play Nikola Jokic. You're going to play him a lot of minutes. How important is it for investing in the minutes that Jokic doesn't play when you're not going to play a ton of them? Because ideally, if you're Denver, you want to play about 40 Jokic minutes and eight non-Jokic minutes in a playoffs. I mean, I think ideally they'd love for those non-Jokic minutes to be positive so that they could play him 38 or 36 instead. But in all likelihood, you got to be willing to go up to 40. So are you really going to trade for somebody just to play them eight minutes in important playoff games? It's a tough one. It's why Denver signed DeAndre Jordan and didn't really use their mid-level exception or something like that to go after a bigger name. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that there are going to be backup centers on the market. A lot of these teams are going to hold on to those guys. They're going to want to, I think, they are going to want to invest in that and really hold a high bargain, a high price for that, kind of like last year. But there are too many names, in my opinion, and too many names on bad teams where you wouldn't see those guys moved. It would be very surprising if you didn't. So I think that the following four guys have a pretty good chance to get moved. Jakob Pertl of the Spurs, Precious Achua of the Raptors, Nerlens Noel of the Pistons, and Sadiq Bey. He's, he's a guy that kind of didn't really fit into any of these categories, but he's not even a, a center or anything. But Sadiq Bey is a guy that I think would be a really good fit for Denver specifically. And if he was available, would be a pretty nice third forward to have to play next to MPJ and Aaron Gordon or some combination of those guys. Be something pretty cool. Um, Assuming he's not available, though, at least not for the price that Denver wants or can pay, Jakob Pertl, Precious Achua, Nerlens Noel, the three guys that I think are going to get moved. Jakob Pertl, probably a bit overqualified to play the role that Denver wants. He probably is going to be a starter somewhere. Achua, not having a good year for the Raptors. They need a starting center. Wouldn't surprise me if you could see a three-way deal between the Raptors, Spurs, and Nuggets where somebody like a Zeke Naji goes to the Spurs. You get Precious Achua from the Raptors, and then the Raptors get Jakob Pertl back. 
who they had initially and still like. That seems to make sense for me. Nerlens Noel seems to me like an upgrade over DeAndre Jordan, but is he enough of an upgrade over DeAndre Jordan to really justify it? I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't strike me as a guy that you can play next to Nikola Jokic either. Precious Achua, if you could get him, he seems like somebody that you could play next to Yoke. That would be pretty good. But I also think that he's probably more valuable in general than what somebody like Denver can really afford. Other guys that aren't listed as kind of kind of main trade targets that are going to be moved, but potentially could be moved. Kelly Olynyk of the Jazz. I've made mention of him before. He is not going to improve the defense, and that is true, but he is going to improve the offense if that were a target. Bones needs somebody that can run DHOs with him, and Kelly Olynyk is one of the best when it comes to kind of high-level backup, lower-tier starter players who can run DHOs. He's really good at it. Mason Plumley, reunion with an old friend, seems like a player who could potentially do stuff that Denver would need, and could he rehash some of that old uh, Bones Highland chemistry? Or no, uh, he had the chemistry with Monte Morris. Could he do the same thing with Bones Highland? I think it's possible. I think Mace would be a great short roll option for Denver as they try to find opportunities to be a better offense with their second unit. Mason Plumley could do that as long as he doesn't have to shoot. Andre Drummond, somebody who I've thought of as kind of an upgrade over DeAndre Jordan. He went to the Chicago Bulls for the mid-level, has been their best center. Nikola Vucevic has not been very good. I would personally like to have Andre Drummond, but he is very much a sec like he's you're you're spending a second round pick to try to get him. And you're probably gonna only play him eight to ten minutes in the playoffs. I'm not sure if that makes sense. I'm not sure if that's what Denver would want to do or if they that's what they want to spend their resources on for a rental. But uh seems like a pretty good option to me. He's pretty good. Nas Reed of the Minnesota Timberwolves can trade with old friend Tim Connolly. That seems like an interesting one. Rashawn Holmes, bigger contract, probably not necessarily one that Denver can afford. Maybe it makes him a little bit more available. Um, he's been floundering on the bench for the Kings of late. And I just, I don't know if that's a bad indicator. I think it probably is. But he seems to me like a player that could really help, would be a good floater kind of player. Somebody who could run pick and roll in the middle, be a good finisher for Bones. But overall, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what makes the most sense. These are just some names. Denver's going to have to do something, though. Like The way that their second unit is going right now, I don't think that they have their answer at the five with that group. Whether it's Zeke Naji, whether it's Jeff Green, I don't think Aaron Gordon is an answer at the five. I don't think DeAndre Jordan is an answer at the five. I think that's where Denver, if you are looking to improve the team most, that is where you would get the most bang for your buck. But we will see. We will see what that looks like. But for now, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. 
Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I will be back on Friday night, Saturday morning, after the Nuggets play the Los Angeles Lakers. They'll have today. They're they're definitely hanging out in L.A. right now. We will see if they take that game as seriously or unseriously as they did the last time they played the Lakers. They lost that game the last time that they played. The Lakers, it would be bad if Denver got swept by them in L.A. That seems like a thing that you do not want to have happen. So, we will see. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the program, as always. We'll talk to you guys very soon.